to Movement Conversations, a podcast powered by New Generations. I'm Roy Morand, your host for season two, and I'm excited about what we've got lined up for you this season. If those of you who are not familiar with New Generations want to go to newgenerations.org, you can find out more about us. We're in about 55 different countries with over 900 engagements focusing on about 150 plus movements uh, at the moment. So love to have you learn more about us. I would also love to have you subscribe to this podcast so you'll get alerted every time we drop a new episode as well as to share it with your friends. Let them know what's going on and get a few more people in our conversation. uh, That's enough about the intro. Let's get into our guest for today. Hey, thanks for joining us on uh, the New Generations podcast as we talk about movements and and this whole idea of a movement discussion. Uh, Today, I'm uh, excited about having a a guest, a friend that I've known for quite some time. Uh, Tom Marshall's with us. Uh, Tom is, uh, uh, I'll let him describe his history and and, uh, where he's coming from, but I think he brings a flavor uh, that we, we haven't had and a flavor to this discussion that we need to have. So, Tom, thanks for taking time uh, to be here with us today. Well, thank you, Roy. It's really great to be able to chat with you. We always have great conversations. So you're, you're in, you know, California, I'm sure. Are you, are you guys in the heat wave? We are. Yeah, it's real hot here. Wow. And, and a drought, too? Is that? Is yes. That- water restrictions. Oh, man. Crazy, crazy. So, Tom, our, our history goes back to the city team days. Um, our mutual friend, I think, Hermie Schmidt, actually introduced us. Uh, and uh, so you uh, are just a normal guy. And I, I mean that in the, in the, the highest esteem. Uh, I always tell people, you know, and that I work with it. A lot of people have regular jobs. I don't have a regular job. I have one of those nice jobs where I get to do what I want. Um, but but you own a business. Um, you're, uh, you know, a guy who's been in the work world, um, you know, making your way. And some time ago, you engaged this whole idea of uh, multiplicative disciple making. Tell us the story. How did it happen? What was what was going on? And and uh, how did you get into this whole tribe? Well, as you say, I, I work uh, in the electronics industry. I've done that for many years, but uh, my passion has always been how to do uh, discipleship and uh, um, and evangelism and how how to make better disciples and uh, just always searching the scripture uh, and trying to learn how to uh, how to do that better. But my my story goes really quite a ways back. Probably twenty years ago, I was in a men's group, men's accountability group, with a half dozen guys, and one of the members worked at a local ministry, and then in the early two thousands. Uh, this organization wanted to start an international branch. And so they asked my friend from the group if he'd start leading it. Uh, a few years after experimenting with different approaches, my friend got to know David Watson. And uh, he really connected with uh, David Watson's philosophy of, um, of ministry. And so my, my friend began um, bouncing some of the ideas off of the guys in the group. And uh, kind of we were soundboards for him. And some of the guys in the group really didn't connect with these concepts. They just, um, they weren't there for them. But for me, like it connected all of the pieces. All of, you know, I'd read the gospels and there's just felt like there's this disconnect between what I was seeing in the church and what, what how, the way I was trained and the things I was involved with and what I saw in the New Testament. 
And as Harry began to share these things, um, it, uh, it, it just really, things came to life. Uh, you know, I'd had a tension between, uh, between my experience and what I had read. And so the local ministry was city teams we've talked about. And my friend was Harry Brown and, uh, and the international ministry that he launched to spun off. And now it's called new generations, which we're both a part of. Yeah. And, uh, uh it was, uh, uh, I, we were meeting during the time uh, when New Generations or City Team at that time launched their first mission in Africa. I think that was around 2005. Mm-hmm. I probably was one of the first people praying and supporting and just, uh, I mean, when I heard, was hearing stories, you know, it was just, it was just super exciting to, uh, to see how God was working and, uh, and to see these concepts come alive yeah. in, in a practical way. So could, just, I know there's this some great stories of those times, but your conflict uh, that was going on in your mind, um, did you, you grow up in church? How long had you? I, I came to faith in high school. Okay. And, uh, and my mother came to faith about the same time. We completely separately. We didn't even know each other. We were experiencing uh, because we didn't talk about those kind of things in the household. <laughs> And so, um, and so we started going to church together, my mom and I, and, uh, and so, yeah, I grew up with pretty much a traditional church, evangelical, um, Bible church mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, they were definitely teaching the Bible, but, um, but it just, you know, Jesus didn't start a traditional church. Uh, just some of the ways that he did things, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the things that he communicated, the way he communicated, in some ways, it just didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, why did he do and say some of the things that he did? Mm-hmm. And it seems to me like the way we did things in church made a lot more sense. But there's still this tension. Why, you know, if, if this makes sense, why didn't Jesus do it? Or Jesus did this way. Why don't we do it this way? We're doing it better than Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, obviously, we figured out a better way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the answer I couldn't quite accept. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Any particular tensions in that moment? You know, as Harry started talking about, you know, what, what Watson was, was communicating about obedience-based disciple making and, you know, the idea of, of um, you know, it being given away so quickly, any, anything that creates yeah, tension in yeah. you? The aha moment for me, um, Harry brought someone who was actually not from Africa, but somewhere else who was practicing um, this. And they were starting these uh, small group, these churches daily. And I, I've always been involved in small group ministries. I've trained small group leaders all through the years. And I'm trying to think of, I can't find enough small group leaders in my church. How are you, how, where are you getting all these small group leaders from? How does this, how is this working? And so I'm asking this person, how are you training your small group leader so fast? And he's not connecting with my question because he's not coming from a Western stand position. And um, so finally the translator says to me, well, let me answer the question for you. What does the Great Commission say? And he said, the Great Commission is go and make disciples, teaching them, may, um, baptizing them, and, um, uh, um, and, and um, so in any case, he said, well, what do you mean teaching them? Read it again. Teaching them to obey. I, I said, well, who added that word in there? 
<laughs> you know, I, I honestly had skipped over the teach to obey, and I just look at it uh, teaching them to teach, you know, teach them yeah. all the theology. Mm-hmm. And so what he said is, with the small group leaders or the home church leaders, if they learn how to obey, if they can understand the scriptures and they learn how to obey, they can teach others to do the same. And so my concept is, how much knowledge do you have? How much can you pass on of uh, the theology? And it was just like, boom, do it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Put it into practice. That's the key. Yeah. And how hard, you know, how much do you have to know if you can understand, you learn something, you put it into practice. That's, that's the key. And that I was just, hope there, huh? yeah, yeah, that was, that was a game changer for me. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. So t- talk a little bit about your experience as a practitioner then you've, uh, I mean, you've been at it for as long as I have. Um, um, well, you know, I'm part-time. So I'm kind of doing this on the side. And um, we, we uh, I, I went to a, um, a country, we went door-to-door evangelism. And um, we saw people come to faith. We had local people there who did the follow-up. We came home, we decided that we wanted to, you know, we can't just go there and do that. We got to do that here. And so we uh, went into the neighborhood. We kind of did a survey just to find out where people were at, what uh, you know, what were the, you know, the concerns and issues in the neighborhood and different things. Um, and so we got a group of people doing that. And then uh, when we found some people who came to faith through that, we wanted to begin to disciple them. And so I met with city team and um, asking them, how, how are you doing this? And city, there wasn't really any training yet. Um, and so, so they were learning, I was learning and we kind of collect, sort of began collaborating. Yeah. In fact, I was involved with some of the first, um, outside training that city team did mm-hmm. kind of the earlier, um, iterations of the training that city team is, is doing now. We were trying to figure out how to communicate that and, and share this uh, with people outside of the city team organization. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, it was the concept seemed really cool at first, but then letting go, actually letting go of the way I've been trained to do evangelism and discipleship turned out to be really tough. Mm. And um, I, I kept going back to my old ways mm. and not, uh, not letting go of those and, and, um, and trusting, mm-hmm. uh, let the Holy Spirit do the teaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, let them discover out of the Bible. No, I got to teach them because they might discover the right thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so, do you have a hard time keeping your mouth shut in the times <laughs> when you get asked questions? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you want you want to be the question answer. You know, part of it I didn't. Under, I, what I was I understood was still pretty limited mm-hmm. of the concepts, but that's kind of the approach to disciple making is you learn a concept, you try and practice it, you teach it to others. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, I'm not, that I was teaching a lot of this before I understood more of the concepts isn't totally outside of the EMM. Exactly, yeah. And, and it, part of it is you go out, you try it, you learn, and, um, and then you learn the next concept. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I, I'm rather dense. It took me years to really grasp these concepts. And, and there wasn't really anything written on the subject 
and that's part of what I decided to write uh, to the average person. Really, I was writing to me mm -hmm. um, a study of how Jesus, the things that he did, mm -hmm. what did he do, what did he say, and why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, a, a book you just published, right? Yes. Yeah. You got a yeah, copy of it there. We'll we'll put up a uh, uh, copy and how to get it here in the the notes uh, to this podcast. But uh, the Jesus strategy is just sort of simple, you know. Uh, yeah, the Jesus strategy: how Jesus taught followers to carry out his vision. Mm -hmm. yeah, Jesus was teaching people. He was teaching his followers how to carry out his vision. And and how did he train them? Why did he train them that way? What did he show them to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, ha having read the book, I know it, it provides uh, just this uh, really um, doable type of, of uh, stuff in it. You know, the, the thing I, I appreciate about it, it um, I, I think sometimes people like even like myself, I love big words. I love new words. I love, you know, I, I think. Uh, for some reason, I think, you know, those kind of things communicate and they really don't, you know, people's vocabularies are not growing exponentially, you know, and that kind of stuff. The, the simplicity with which you have, uh, ha have really put this down um, and, and attached it to Jesus. Uh, now, that may be uh, some people may think that's preposterous. Yeah. So Tom Marshall has Jesus's strategy. <laughs> Yeah, but but it is. I mean, it's hard to deny the way you write the book. I mean, you just, you just it's just stories right out of Jesus' life, and then you know, applied to okay, what would that look like today? Um, and it makes it really unique. So was I guess that what you're telling me? That's your goal. That's what you were hoping for in this process. I'm not a theologian. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, a very smart person. Uh, I'm just a simple simple person. I, I'm not gifted in evangelism or any of these things. And, you know, I kept arguing with God through the whole process. Why don't you pick someone smarter, more gifted, better at this to write this book? And, and I think God kept telling me is, no, this is a book for the ordinary Christian, the ordinary person. And I want an ordinary person mm -hmm. to write it. Mm -hmm. I'll give you, I'll tell you what to say. I'll give you the information. Yeah. It's gonna, you're, you're kind of slow. It's going to take you seven years. <laughs> to grasp this and figure out i'm going to give you little pieces of time because you can't handle more than that but um that that's um that's the process and i eventually realized what he wanted what i feel he wanted me to write down in the book and um and he had to explain it in a way that i could understand it and then i could explain that to yeah. other people yeah so in your experience, where, where are the friction points as, as people you know, ha have a holy dissatisfaction and decide that there's got to be a better way? There's got to be a better way. Uh, and maybe have the same kind of a vision that you had. It's like, I see what we do here in gospeling in this, this place-based church thing. And then I see, I read the gospels and the two just sort of pass in the night. They don't really fit together in any form or fashion. Um, so, you know, you, you, you find this way of teaching people to discover God for themselves in the Bible, learn to obey it, share it. Uh, where are the friction points in your world? Well, the first, the first friction point, I think, is that we read the, uh, the Bible, uh, the New Testament, from a Western lens. We think we know, particularly the gospel, we think we know what it's supposed to tell us. And so we look for that when we read it. 
-hmm. And what we're looking for isn't wrong. I mean, it's biblical truth that, that we're looking for, but that's not the main message of the gospels is what we, we oftentimes in the West look for. And so the first thing is, I think you have to look at it from a new lens, just stand back and assume that you don't know what the gospel writers are intending to communicate. Assume you don't know what Jesus is doing and why and read it afresh. And just, just say, what do you, what are the gospel writers trying to communicate to me? What are they trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. I had kind of an advantage on this is I've been teaching Bible stories and, and telling stories to really large numbers of people who have little to no background in the Bible. Most of the people have never read any of the Bible before. Mm -hmm. When I finally stopped telling them what I think they should learn from this passage and mm -hmm. just told the story tried to get out of the way and ask them, what do you see in the story? What do you learn in the story? I found that there was patterns and they were seeing different things than what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of came to it. I spent a lot of time with uh, inner city teens and we were, you know, ran, running through these different Bible stories and discussing it with them. And what does it mean? And, and I finally came back and realized I learned more of the gospels than I taught them. Mm -hmm. That, they helped me to see things that I hadn't understood before. Yeah. And then I think the next point is what was Jesus's core story? What was the core message? I should say, what was his core message? Mm -hmm. And I think this is really the, the key. And I don't think the people in the church are really, you know, I ask people, what was Jesus's core message? And most of the time I get a blank stare. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they say, well, it's about love. Well, it's about forgiveness. Well, it's about, um, you know, something else. And yes, he spoke about that, but that wasn't his core message. And the, we don't have to guess about his core message because the Bible authors tell us about his core message. We'll get back to our guests in just a moment. But for those of you that like to connect with New Generations, newgenerations.org is a great place to go and find out information about things like ending scripture poverty, a very unique and disruptive approach to providing oral scripture to tribes that have never had the Bible in their heart language. Or you can find out about engagement to movement. Maybe you and or your church would want to be involved in, in helping get a unreached people group uh, to a stage in movement where the gospel can be planted and replicated in their world. So if you'd like to find out more about those, please go to newgenerations.org and you can find out about that. If you're in the Jesus North American region and you want to connect with our North American God. branch, so you can go to newgenerations.us, find out about the habits training, how to become a multiplying disciple, and how to get involved in a network of people who are establishing teams to eradicate gospel poverty in their area. So thanks so much for listening today. We're going to get right back to our guests. And again, I get blank stares from them. They hadn't thought about how to communicate that. There's a lesson that the whole Gospels are for. I mean, it's the first part of them is to show us how Jesus communicated this message about the kingdom. Look at how he communicated the message about the kingdom. Mm -hmm. What did he have to say? And this, when we look at the Gospels in the evangelical church, we look at, we look, usually view it as the plan of salvation or something to do with the atonement mm -hmm. that... Uh, that we sin, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sin. And so our gospel message begins with the bad news, oftentimes, that you've got a problem in order to be able to understand the good news, how he's got a solution for a problem. 
Well, that's part of the gospel, but that's not the whole gospel. Um, and the gospel is much bigger than that. The gospel also includes a message about the kingdom. And if we leave that part out, we have an imbalanced and, uh, and incomplete message. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to people about beginning with the message of the kingdom and, and look at how Jesus did that, that's another friction point is, is that we're stuck on people half, you, know, you have to start with the message of the atonement and people have to accept the atonement before they can come to faith. Well, Jesus told people there in the kingdom who didn't understand the atonement. We want people to understand the atonement, but that's not the process of coming into the kingdom. And so, uh, and I, I think that in the church, we skip a bunch of points. We, we, we jump and well, you look at Jesus. Yeah. He said, come and follow me. But before he said that to, uh, to the first disciples, he says, um, come and see. And so the first step we want to invite people to come and see and experience God. And in the, the Western church, we feel like they have to pray a prayer of salvation before they can come and see. Mm -hmm. but I, I say we want to let people come and see, and then they can know if they're ready to pray a prayer of, mm -hmm. of commitment. Then they can commit themselves once they, once they come to a relationship and get to know God. Mm -hmm. And so that come and see is not come to a Sunday morning service and <laughs> no. see the community. No. <laughs> no, we're, we're giving them an opportunity, yes. Uh, in the, in the uh, DMM world, we invite them into a discovery process, hopefully with some of their friends, where they have an opportunity to read the Bible, and we want them to come into contact with God through that. It's not just an academic thing where they read a story and learn about it. We want them to bring them into a place where they can interact with God and ask him to reveal something to them, to speak to them. In John 6, 44, it talks about God speaking to people, to everybody. Mm -hmm. And we want them to hear from God. And, um, and we want to bring them to a point to understand what does the kingdom mean? It means to be obedient. It means to do what, uh, what, what he asked them to do. So we, we say, what is God asking you to do? And then we ask the question, are you planning to do it? What do you, you know, that's their choice. Do you sure. want to do it? Yeah. And we find that if they begin to do it, God reveals more of himself and they build a relationship and the love comes. Now they're ready to commit themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's to, I really look for a slower process of bringing people. And, and so, you know, the first friction point um, is how you read the New Testament. The second point, friction point is beginning somewhere other than the plan of salvation and bringing them into a relationship. And then and the third is allowing the Holy Spirit to, uh, to do that work rather than we having to teach them. Mm -hmm. uh, trusting that God can speak to them. And we start with that rather than start with us teaching them because we want them to, uh, we want to get out of the way and get, allow them to have that relationship with God that's not dependent on us telling them, speaking for God. Mm -hmm. We want God to speak directly to people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd be remiss here if, if I didn't get you to, and you almost did it, and maybe you did do it. Definition of the kingdom. Well, the kingdom has to do with having a relationship with God and putting him as our king. Mm -hmm. And so when we, when we preach the kingdom, um, if you look at the woman at the well, as an example of the uh, evangelistic message, Jesus asks for a drink. Then he says to her, if you knew the gifts of God 
and who it is who asks of you. You'd ask me for a drink. So what we're wanting to present is the, uh, the gifts or the blessings that God offers. That's where, where um, Jesus began. He's demonstrating the nature of the kingdom, the blessings that God offers, and the power of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're inviting people into a relationship. And so if he's our king, we have a relationship with him. And then we move into what does that mean then when we start receiving the gifts of God, how do we respond in love? Mm-hmm. And out of that love is the, the appropriate response is obedience. The primary expression of love to God is obedience. And mm-hmm. so we teach people then that God not only offers you things, but he wants you to follow him and put him in his rightful place in your life as, as the king. Mm-hmm. I think that piece is oftentimes missing. Mm-hmm. Also, that we are servants of the kingdom, that we have a place, we have a calling, we have uh He's calling us to engage in the work of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jesus, go ahead. You know, Jesus said to uh, his disciples that I have food that you know nothing about. And then he defined that by, uh, he said that this food, he clarified that the food is to do um, God's work and to finish it. And so I look at that in that context, in John 4, the context that's loving our neighbors, doing his work, and finishing it is making disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at the church, and I, I don't see people seeing that their calling is to love their neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that there's this passion and this calling to then make disciples, mm-hmm. that this is, this is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And so I look at the church, and I say, None, you know, Jesus started out by saying, as I have food you know nothing about, I think that the church doesn't know anything about, and by and large, many in the church, too many in the church, mm-hmm. don't know this food, this fulfillment that God desires for his followers, for, uh, for his people to, to have. Yeah. So let, let me go back uh, for a moment. Uh, you know, we often get accused because we, we use obedience Uh, in the pre-Christian world of a person, of them, you know, pledging allegiance to to God. Um, Age-old question, I'm sure you had it a jillion times, but uh, I'm sure someone listening to this is is going to accuse and or I, uh, or both of us of this, is that it, how is it not earning your salvation? Well, for one, it's a response of love. And it doesn't earn your salvation. We do this out of of response for love. But we teach people um, to act on what God is calling them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, for for a pre-Christian, it could be something simple uh, um, like uh, one one person, one pre-Christian said, we're studying creation. And he... uh, and we asked him, what do you think God might want you to do? And he thought for a minute, he says, maybe I should stop littering <laughs> <laughs> because I'm making a mess of God's creation. Well, that's a perfect step of obedience for a pre-Christian. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not looking for anything huge. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, God is going to give it, uh, reveal to them something simple in the beginning. And eventually he's going to. And, and the other thing is, um, to back to your question of obedience, it's not doing what I tell them to do. Uh, we ask them to listen to what does God want you to do? Mm-hmm. And then ask the question, are you going to do it? So it's, 
there's a difference between am I having a set of rules that you have to live by mm -hmm. that becomes legalism mm -hmm. versus what are you hearing God telling you to do out of the scripture mm -hmm. and uh, and then uh, asking if inviting them to yeah. take that step of, of doing what uh, what God wants them to do yeah yeah I love your the first thing you says is it's, it's an act of love uh, but because, you know, and Jesus says to the disciples, you know, follow me, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a call for obedience. Uh, so were the disciples earning their relationship mm -hmm. with Jesus or were they simply acknowledging that I have a King right now and the King is me and I need a new King in my life. If I'm going to align myself with the, the father in heaven who created mm -hmm. the kingdom of heaven and wants to bring his kingdom to earth as Jesus taught us to pray. So uh, I, I'm simply trusting, you know, that what he says is true. Uh, he died for me. You know, like you said, the atonement, all of those things are true and, and need to be applied to our lives, but it doesn't preclude the fact that in our pre-Christian phase, we can begin looking at the creator and respond in obedience and watch the creator become our father. Um, through that process it has nothing to do with what I do you know I he, he can't become my father unless Jesus dies on the cross but uh, that process of obedience is a way of responding to that king um, in my life and the realization that I'm living as if what he says is true uh, so I, I love that just that simple phrase it's an act of love um, also, I, I, another friction point you reminded me of is um, a lot of people say, well, they don't, they don't believe that God speaks to people who aren't yet pre-Christian, pre mm -hmm. and they don't believe there'd be any reason why a pre-Christian would act in obedience. And I found both of those things to be false uh, experientially. I, I've been, uh, we, we told stories to these uh, teens uh, who didn't know Jesus, and I, you know, I have to admit, Every single time I heard God, you know, when God spoke to them and they shared something, you'd think I'd get used to it. But every single time I was surprised that God spoke to them, to this guy. <laughs> um, and so that, uh, that was really cool. God does speak. I have seen it over and over and over again to people who aren't yet following him. Mm -hmm. And he puts in a desire in people's heart that he's calling. Mm -hmm to take those steps and uh, and they want to um, try and see what happens if they um, do what he says. Uh, one young man did some, acted on it and I came back and I said, well, how did that feel? How did, how did that go when you acted on it? He says, I kind of liked it. <laughs> I said, okay, cool. Yeah, well, that's cool. So tell, tell me about, you know, you write a book, you want it to have an impact, obviously. So uh, let us in on some of your dreams. What, what do you dream that could be happening if, if people picked up on this whole multiplicative strategy for disciple making? Um, well, yeah, you know, when you look at why aren't people engaging in the Great Commission, I, I, I stand back and say, you know, we've got more books available more training available, more um, resources. We've got 
motivational, you know, gifted preachers and motivational teaching and this and that. I think for a lot, a lot of people, it's, it's too difficult. You know, they're willing to experience a small amount of pain for guilt for not being involved in the Great Commission versus the pain of having to confront and offend their neighbor. I think part of it is the way we've approached it is not the way that Jesus approached it. And the way that we've approached it is much more confrontative and in your face. And so I, I think that uh, if people can understand that there's a simpler, easier way of doing it, I mean, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't make it easy, but I can make it significantly easier and significantly less painful to engage with your neighbor um, if you follow Jesus's principles. Mm-hmm. And so, so my hope and prayer is that more people will read this and, um, and then really what I'd like to see is people get together in smaller groups and apply it because individually it's really rough to just go this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really much better if you can pull a group of people together to work on these principles. And it takes a while to learn the principles. It takes a while to figure out how to put them into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding and applying are two different things. And, uh, and so really my hope and prayer is I don't care how many copies I sell of this. I want the right people who need it um, read this. To put, to put it in their hands yeah. and uh and i'm just uh, praying and, and believe that it's something that will revolutionize mm-hmm. the way that they engage in their community and the great commission can't be done uh can't be fulfilled i don't think unless average people get engaged mm-hmm. you have most of the team sitting on the sidelines i don't think that we can really make the kind of progress that, that jesus wants so i'm really looking for something how do you get the average person into the game of uh, effectively uh, sharing about the kingdom of God with your neighbors and then learning how to then go and make disciples that would make other disciples who make other disciples. And, and uh, it's really the multiplicative mm-hmm. uh, vision that I hope people will also pick up out of this, which is really where the title of the Jesus strategy comes from, the multiplicative strategy that Jesus had. So it, can we get it? Amazon, uh, yes. places, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, just Amazon.com, the Jesus Strategy. Okay. Uh, I have a website that has some additional resources, the Jesus Strategy.com. Okay, you can get in touch with me there. All right, excellent. Well, uh, I'm for one excited about uh, you being a part of the New Generations team and uh, using your writing skills. I know that you and David Hinman are now involved in uh, some some tools on prayer. But yeah, that's been be, a lot of fun. Yeah, movement prayer is going to it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, looking forward to that coming out later this uh, after the summer, maybe early fall. Uh, so, um, I mean, this seems to be uh, quite a, quite a bit in that simple mind of yours that uh, <laughs> God is cooking up. So, thanks so much, Tom, for being here today. I appreciate it, man. Hopefully, we can have you back and uh, we can figure out what else your your uh, mind is is cooking up. So, uh, appreciate you being here. Well, thank you, Roy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Movement Conversations, a podcast powered by New Generations. If you're looking for more information on New Generations, you can go to newgenerations.org. There you'll find information on ending scripture poverty or engagement to movement or any of the other strategic initiatives that we have attempting to fulfill the Great Commission in our lifetime. 
If you happen to be in North America, you can go to newgenerations.us or newgenerations.ca and find out about things like the Habits course, uh, a course for helping learn to become a multiplying disciple. And there you can join other men and women uh, in North America who are attempting to build uh, these strategic communities to fulfill the Great Commission through disciple-making that replicates uh, through their social networks. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you've uh, enjoyed our podcast. Look forward to when we drop the next one and having you with us.